you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. The passage can be found in the bulletin printed on pages 4 and 5. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 15, a familiar text probably to many of us. Where Solomon goes and seeks the Lord as he gets ready to ascend the throne of Israel. We're going to pick up in verse 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. You may be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you asking that in this hour you would give us what Solomon asked, a discerning mind, to discern your word, to know what it is that you require of us, to know what it is that you offer to give us as we come humbly before you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Life is full of transitions. One might even argue that life will never be without change. As the Greek philosopher Heraclitus once said, there is nothing permanent except change. For our lone graduate this morning, his transition is pretty obvious. The familiarity and the comforts of home are being swapped for the joys, the sorrows, the difficulties, and the successes of college. But graduation is not the only significant life change. It is but one of many. Transitions, big or small, has likely, have likely touched each of us recently. Retirement, new jobs, new babies, recent surgeries, empty nests, even moving up a grade in school, 
Even going from the summer, going to summer calendars from school calendars is a transition. There's been deaths of a loved one, life post-COVID. These are just a samplings of some of the changes that many are going through even right now this morning. And many of these, I'll admit, are good things. Many provide plenty of reasons for rejoicing. Just ask any student right now who is on summer break. They are glad for this transition. Transition is not always a bad thing. It's not always something to fear. I doubt Solomon was sitting here complaining about this new promotion that he got. He seemed eager to take the throne if you were to read 1 Kings chapter 2. Taking the throne was, for Solomon, a great change, a great transition. But still, change, whether good or bad, is almost always challenging. Leading God's people, for Solomon, was going to be a difficult and sometimes painfully difficult task. So what do we do in the midst of our transition, in the midst of our change, whether it's great or small? What should our graduate do this morning with his looming change? Our culture would say, they would invite us, they would call us to turn inward, as one actress famously told her adoring fans about all her transitions from model to actress to singer to whatever, any transition is easier if you believe in yourself and your talent. I think Solomon invites us to take a different approach. Instead of turning inward, relying upon himself, Solomon turns instead to the faithful one. As he prepares to take the throne over the people of God, the human king, hoping to rule well, turns to the divine king and the benevolent God. And we see here that in times of challenge and change, we are invited to seek the Lord's provision and blessing. Times of challenge and change invite us to seek the Lord's provision and his blessing. And instead of four straightforward points here, the structure of this morning is kind of going to flow out of four implications, if you will, from what we see take place in the life of Solomon here in 1 Kings chapter 3. These four implications are going to be first, engage in worship. Second, express your want. Third, enjoy the Lord's wealth. And then four, embrace the Lord's warning. Let me walk through those one more time. Engage in worship, express your want, enjoy the Lord's wealth, and embrace the Lord's warning. Now, while these four may sound a little bit like a how-to in handling transition, that is not my aim. These are not keys to dealing well with change or to transition with success. No, each is intended to point us in the direction of seeking the Lord in whatever change, whatever transition we find ourselves in today. For our God is faithful. He is steadfast. He is gracious. That is the, the underflowing current, if you will, in this passage. It is not Solomon's posture. It is not even Solomon's prayer. It is that the Lord God will not forsake his people. He remains faithful to his covenant promises without fail. And his love is steadfast. It endures forever. He is where all of us should turn as life constantly changes and transitions near us, around us, wherever. We see our first implication, though, is engage in worship. We see this in the beginning in verses 3 through 6 and then again at the close in verse 15. 
Solomon's very first move as he prepares to take the throne of Israel is to turn to the Lord with praise on his lips. Challenge and change don't push him away from worship, but they rather encourage him to dive deeper into it. He saw whose hand it was at work to get him to this position. He recognized it was the Lord, as it says at the end of chapter 2, who established the kingdom in the hand of Solomon. And so as this new king who's been established by the Lord, Solomon is eager to worship. He's eager to praise, to sing, to give thanks. And we see such worship first is private. Look at verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Solomon loved the Lord who loved him first, as we learned at his birth in 2 Samuel 12. Solomon is even given the name at that point, Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. Such love echoes what John would write in his first letter to the church. We love because he first loved us. And Solomon's love motivates in him then a life of obedience and faithfulness. Walking in the statutes of David his father. Love for and obedience to God is Solomon's private worship. It's what he engages in. It's what he's eager to do. So does this describe your private worship? Do you even have a private worship? As critical as the corporate gathering of God's people is for our health, for the maturity and the growth, it cannot replace our private worship. Tim passionately urged us last week from the pulpit to be students of the word of God. To seek to know Christ more and more and what he has done for us more and more. Not simply corporately, but privately. And closely connected to that is obedience. Walking in the statutes of our Father. Or as Psalm 119 will emphasize over and over again, delighting in the commandments of God. To love God is to obey him. To obey him is to love him. This is our worship. But we also see Solomon's worship is public. It says, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Gibeon was the great high place because there it is believed the tabernacle was as well as the bronze altar. While high places later on would become and continue to be a problem for Israel, Solomon goes there with the company of God's people to worship. His private worship, his love for God, his obedience then moves him to public worship. And here we see a Solomon offer extravagant sacrifices. It says a thousand burnt offerings. That's a lot. This is not a demonstration of some kind of pomp or wealth. This is not akin to the, the rich people in Mark 12 who are kind of showing up to the temple and dropping massive money bags into the, into the box. No, this thousand burnt offerings are sacrifices fit for a king. 
Solomon gives generously, abundantly to the one who has given generously and abundantly to him. He gives simply what God is due. When we face transitions and changes of life, are we eager to come into the company of God's people in the public worship of God's name? Are we engaged in giving God the glory that is due his name alongside of our brothers and sisters? Or do the changes and the transitions, good or bad, tempt us to, to withdraw, to isolate? Because the truth is, times of transition will tempt us to kind of pull away, to back away. Because it's easier to push them aside for the sake of maybe enjoying the change or handling the change because it's just too much for us to handle. And young people especially, I want to encourage you here. Because for you, in some ways, changes in life are going to come at increasing rates and amounts for you in the years ahead. And there will be calls for you to kind of just push aside both your private worship and your public worship. But may I encourage you, instead of breaking out, push further in. If you're here at home, engage fully with your church. Sing, listen, proclaim, fellowship and feast weekly with your brothers and sisters. If you are away, temporarily, permanently, find a faithful church. Dive headfirst into it. Make it the place where you will gather publicly to worship the God who is constant and unchanging amidst all of life's changes. Your soul will benefit from it greatly. And the same goes for all of us, no matter what age we are. Press into the public worship with God's people. But lastly, regarding Solomon's worship, we also see that it fixates on the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. He tells the Lord in verse 6, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. And then he says, And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love. Solomon here is alluding to the promise that God made David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. When he told David, I will raise up an offspring after you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And my steadfast love will not depart from him. All of Solomon's private public worship flows from the reality of God's steadfast love towards him. His covenant faithfulness. Solomon had zero doubts about the steadfast love of God. Every time he sat on the throne, he was given a tangible reminder of God's love for him. Of God's faithfulness. For God's steadfast love had been the only constant, working in and through Solomon's family specifically and God's family more broadly. Covenant love fuels Solomon's love for the Lord. And it puts him then in this posture where he can come, where God comes and gives him grace. Gives his humble servant all that he needs. And so for each of us here, may we be just as ready to look upon the steadfast love of the Lord. To bring it to mind. To meditate on it. To glory in it. 
It is, it has been, it will be the constant among all the changes, good or bad, easy or difficult, that we have endured, whether we're five or 50 or 500. Considering the love of the Lord will fuel our worship, both public and private. It will keep us anchored through whatever change or transition we face. And it will motivate us to continue giving, engaging in worship, giving glory to our God who is steadfast with his love. The second implication, though, we see is in verses 7 through 9, where we see out of engaging in worship, Solomon then expresses want. Despite being the king, having resources at his demand, having people waiting to do his every request, Solomon recognizes his need for God's help, and he is not too proud to ask for it. Commentators actually see that, that those 1,000 offerings as his plea, as his asking God for help. The sweet smell of the incense and the burnt offerings, in a way, is crying out to the Lord, I could really use some help. I'm a little bit in over my head. And then God comes to him with this question, ask what I shall give you. In kindness, God offers him almost what sounds too good to be true. Like the genie in Aladdin, God appears to say, what is your wish? Only for Solomon, there's no limits. There's no stipulations. If you're familiar with Aladdin, the genie could not force someone to fall in love, could not kill someone, or could not raise from the dead. Verse 11 suggests that for Solomon, killing his enemies, eh, it's on the table. If you really want it, you ask me. And without elevating Solomon to some kind of holy or superhuman status with his response, he should be commended for what he asks for. For my answer would almost certainly be self-serving. Uh, I'll take that material wealth to pay off some new mortgage, maybe. Pay off a new car. Um, I'll take perfect children. I'll just take eight hours of uninterrupted sleep at this point. <laughs> but not so with Solomon. First, he asks God's help to lead. He says, I am but a little child. I don't know how to come in or go out. In layman's terms, Solomon confesses, I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to behave like a king. I need help. And seeing as he says he's a young child, he's likely 20 years old, he's right. He's young, he's inexperienced. He has no idea what he's doing. Any lessons that David may have taught him in his waning years can only get him so far. He's now the top dog. Everyone's looking to him for guidance, protection, leadership, and safety. Many of us here have probably been in a similar situation, maybe not as high as a king, but feeling totally unprepared and unqualified for a task that we've been given. And in such moments, the temptation for us as human is either kind of to, to dig in our heels and put our head down and just say, I'm going to do this in my own power, in my own strength, I'm going to get it done. Or it's to just turn the other way and run. But if we see here the king of Israel can humble himself enough to ask God for help, we should be just as quick to humble ourselves and to ask God for help. 
For such humility, we will find, is useful each and every day, let alone in times of great change or difficulty. Our human nature leads us to think that, eh, I can handle this, only for us to learn the hard way that, yeah, I can't handle this, whatever the this is. But we see Solomon in, in his request, he demonstrates what he himself would write in Proverbs 3. Very familiar text. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Whether we're young and old, we are all experts in leaning on our own understanding. Older saints, you probably have plenty of examples you could tell. My generation, we're compiling our own examples. Younger saints, you've only just begun. But wherever you fall, learn now to humble yourself and to ask God for the help that you need. You may not be called to be king, to lead God's people. You do, however, still need his help. So humbly ask him to provide it. You'll find he's going to give it to you. But more specifically, we see Solomon not only asks for help, he asks for wisdom. He tells the Lord, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your people? This here is the heart of Solomon's request. He's desperate for wisdom to govern God's people well, to lead them with justice and righteousness, to uphold the law, to apply it well. He does exactly what the exiled believers are encouraged to do in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Solomon understands the gravity of the task before him. Leading God's people is not for the faint of heart or the foolish. Just ask Moses, or Joshua, or Samuel, or David. Each of these experienced what the Lord told Moses on Mount Sinai. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Solomon already had wisdom. If we were to flip back to David's parting words, David confesses as much. But to govern God's people well, Solomon needed wisdom far beyond his own. If he's left to his own wisdom, Solomon is doomed to fail. He needed to be able to know, interpret, and apply the law of God on each and every occasion. Without partiality, without error, without blindness. That's what he means when he says, help me to discern between good and evil. And it goes without saying that those in authority over us need this same kind of godly and practical wisdom. It is glaringly absent at every single level. But even as we decry the lack of it, let us be also be faithful to ask for it on behalf of those who govern us, whether we like them or not whether they agree with us or not. But greater still, let us ask for it for ourselves. Our session needs such wisdom. Husbands, you need such wisdom as you seek to lead your families faithfully. Parents, you need such wisdom as you seek to shepherd your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Young people, you need such wisdom as you navigate this ever-changing culture and its ever-changing standards, definitions, and passions and pleasures. 
If you rely on your own wisdom, if you lean on your own understanding, you will be lost. And whatever job you hold, whatever age you are, whatever responsibility you have here at home or out in the world, you need wisdom. Ask God to give it to you. He knows we need it. He stands ready to give it, as we will see abundantly so. And that then brings us to our third implication, which is found in the Lord's response, and it is to enjoy the Lord's wealth. We find here that Solomon is given more than what he asked for, and likely even more than what he possibly could have imagined he would be given. The Lord is generous to give his people what they need and then some. First, we see Solomon gets the wisdom he wants and much more. The Lord tells him, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none shall arise after you. And if we were to read the very next section of chapter 3, we see Solomon's exceptional wisdom on display. A judicial case, for our lawyers here would know the impossibility of it, with no evidence based only on hearsay, is given a fair, just, and right verdict because of Solomon's wisdom. And then later on in 1 Kings chapter 4, it is affirmed where it says, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the earth and all the wisdom of Egypt. And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. That's more than what Solomon asked for. I intentionally did not read the rest of James verse 5 of chapter 1, but here's what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Sure, we may not get the world-famous wisdom if we ask God for wisdom, but we can rest assured we will certainly get the wisdom that we need. But Solomon also gets more than wisdom. He gets the wealth and respect he didn't ask for. God tells him, I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Now, obviously, a king already possesses a certain amount of riches and honor. And Solomon, being the son of David, Israel's greatest king, would already have inherited such wealth and honor. But he gets more. As we read in the early chapters of 1 Kings 1, Solomon, of 1 Kings, Solomon is given unparalleled wealth and honor. He's placed in a category all by himself. The queen of Sheba, in fact, actually comes to Jerusalem to hear of Solomon's wisdom. And she leaves speechless. She's amazed. She finally proclaims a blessing upon Solomon. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Blessed, by, blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. She delights in the wealth that God has given to Solomon. I don't just mean the material wealth, the wealth of wisdom, the wealth of honor. And we can and should delight in the gifts that God has abundantly given to us as well. Dare I say we should even expect God to give us graciously and abundantly whatever we ask, as we just heard earlier from Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. 
Solomon sought God, his kingdom, his righteousness to help him govern God's people and establish him as God's faithful servant. And the Lord blessed Solomon immensely. He gave him all these things. And before we quickly try to explain away the promise or to shoot the knee-jerk reaction of maybe it's a prosperity gospel, we can and are invited to rest on it. God gives abundantly to his children. He's delighted to give his children what they need. It says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. It doesn't always mean we'll get material goods, but it can. It doesn't always mean we'll get honor and respect, but it can. We have testimonies to the varied ways that God has poured out his wealth, his blessing upon us, oftentimes in unimaginable ways. The Lord didn't give all this to Solomon in a begrudging tone. He didn't come and say, well, if I have to, I guess I'll give you this. Neither did Solomon kind of wrestle it out of God's tight grip of holding on to these things. No, it pleased the Lord to hear Solomon's prayer and to answer it. And God has not changed today. First, he has blessed us ultimately and supremely in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as we read of in places like Ephesians 1. We know the blessing of living under the reign of the true son of David. The one whose kingdom even Solomon looked to. Where wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord are the hallmarks. As we find in places like Isaiah chapter 11. And he secured his kingdom by his death on the cross and his victorious rising from the dead. If you will, Jesus is the king Solomon hoped he would be. A fair, a righteous, a good king. We have that king. It is the highest wealth, the greatest privilege to live with Christ as our king. There is no greater blessing. We can rejoice in that. We can celebrate that. And we should. But God has also blessed us in many other ways as well. We have been blessed materially. We've been given talents both individually and corporately. We've been blessed with, blessed with growth, both physical growth, spiritual growth. And we've been given gifts and passions with which we serve one another, serve our communities, and serve the kingdom of God at large. Let us rejoice in such blessings. We see that's what Solomon does at the end. He goes back to worship after experiencing these blessings poured out on him. Gifts from the hands of our Heavenly Father are to be enjoyed. They are to be celebrated, not ashamed of or apologized for. They prove the love that God has for his people. They prove his generosity, his goodness as a father. They prove his fatherly goodness to us as his children. Our God gives abundant and good gifts to his children. Let us enjoy them each and every day as a way of saying thanks and recognizing his steadfast love and his goodness to us. And then lastly and briefly, the final implication we see is in verse 14. Embrace the Lord's warning. The Lord leaves Solomon after promising he's going to pour out all these blessings on him. He leaves him with a call for continued obedience. 
Now, the Lord is not saying that his faithfulness will be dependent upon Solomon's obedience. Because if that were the case, Solomon and all of us would be doomed. If God is only faithful to us when we're obedient and faithful to him, we're in a big need of help. But quoting Matthew Henry on this verse, he says, God's faithfulness is not tied to our obedience. However, our obedience is certainly tied to enjoyment of covenant blessings. If Solomon wished to taste and enjoy such blessings of belonging to God, in this case, long life, he would need to keep walking in the paths of the Lord. Sadly, we know the story. Solomon would fail. We didn't read it, but if you have your Bibles and go to the beginning of chapter 3, we're even hinted at his two failures at the very beginning. Intentionally, I believe the writer of 1 Kings foreshadows what Solomon would struggle with in these verses. Women and the high places. These two things would ultimately destroy Solomon. They would keep him from walking faithfully in the path of the Lord. His love for women would supersede his love for the Lord. The high places would draw his worship there and away from the temple, the glorious temple that he himself constructed, where fire came down on the day that it was dedicated. And so in verse 14, we see Solomon is given almost the exact same call that the people of God received from the mouth of Moses in Deuteronomy, where he says, If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. In a way, Solomon is brought all the way back to the beginning of verse 3. To love the Lord. To walk in his statutes. And to this point, while he's far from perfect, Solomon is walking in the paths of the Lord. Maybe it's the weight of the task at hand is, is drawing him closer to the path. Maybe the, the transition from prince to king has him loving and obeying the Lord all the more. And the truth of the matter is, you and I can approach our obedience in a similar fashion. When things are a little bit difficult, we might find obedience a little easier. Because we realize how desperate we are. Maybe it's all we can do because of the challenge that lays before us. But we all know, as I mentioned, the story of of Solomon and how it ends. He doesn't embrace the Lord's warning till the end of his days. Life got easier for him. And the blessings that God poured out on him would eventually steal his heart away from the Lord who gave them. And the results will be were catastrophic. The kingdom torn in two. His wealth scattered, eventually leading to exile, the temple being destroyed. May Solomon's life, his failure to heed and embrace God's warning, serve as a warning for each and every one of us. God still demands our obedience. He calls all of us to walk faithfully in his paths. It doesn't matter if those paths run contrary to where our culture may be leading or telling us to go. For we know from Scripture it is in obedience where we truly experience the covenantal blessings of God. Because as we are obeying, as Psalm 1 depicts, we are like a tree, strong, bearing fruit, prosperous, blessed. 
Our culture, sadly, has made a terrible habit of laughing off the warnings of God. And sadly, it will prove disastrous for those who remain unrepentant. But sadder still, we the church have also made a habit of laughing off some of the warnings of God. God's warning about sex of any kind, outside of marriage, go unheeded, and in some churches, even untaught. God's word is very strict about some warnings, should we not heed such advice. God's warning, God warns specifically about the way we speak to one another, about the way we use our tongues. Oftentimes it's disregarded because social media somehow does not count or the person deserved it. And dare I say, God has strong warnings about how we honor the Sabbath that often go ignored because we'd rather get a little more work done, sleep a little longer, or do what we want to do. And these are only a few of some of the ways that we have either laughed off or disregarded the warnings of God. Too often we look for ways to bend the rules instead of walking confidently and freely in accordance with them. May we learn to embrace, to love, to take seriously the warnings of God. They're not for our detriment. They're for our blessing. They are there so that we might glorify God, that we might serve him, enjoy all the blessings that he has poured out on us. Transition or stability, difficulty or ease, let us faithfully strive to walk in the ways of our covenant God as he's revealed to us in his word. Whoever you are or wherever you come from, we are all facing some kind of transition, some kind of change this morning. It could be major, it could be minor. For some, the challenge is right here, right now. For others, you know it's coming in a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years. To our graduate this morning, I encourage you, ask God to grant you wisdom. Ask him for help. You will need it as you go into this next phase of your life. You are never beyond God's, your need of God's help. But to the rest of us, my encouragement is exactly the same. We all need God's infinite wisdom. We all need his strength. And we all desire his blessing. And like a good and generous father, he is asking, what shall I give you? All we need to do is ask. The transitions and the changes have no bearing on the unchanging one. He sees them. He knows them. He stands ready to give generously. Not because we're great, but because his steadfast love is great, as Solomon confessed. And Solomon banked on, rested on, such steadfast love. Will we do the same? Times of challenge and change invite us to seek the Lord's provision and his blessing. Let us pray. Father God, we admit that life is always changing. And we are too often guilty of trying to deal with the change in our own understanding, of leaning on our own wisdom. And God, you stand there waiting for us to come to ask you for help, to give us what it is that we need. So God, we come. We come as a church, we come as individuals asking you to give us your strength, give us your help, give us your wisdom. 
And by your spirit, keep us embracing your commandments, walking in your paths in faithfulness, that we might know, that we might taste your blessings. And we thank you and praise you for your steadfast love. May it be our constant amidst all the irregularities, all the changes that we face. May we rest in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.